0: Welcome, everyone, to City on a Hill. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you this morning. We are, like Pastor Dave mentioned, kicking off our week of prayer with a message on prayer. So if you want to find your copy of Scripture and turn to Ephesians 6, we're going to be starting in verse 18. And it's going to serve as a nice little transition between sermon series. So not going to spoil next week, other than we're starting a new series, and we just finished our our series on Hebrews last week. So I knew I wanted to talk about prayer, and I was, you know, this week trying to decide which which specific passage I wanted to preach on. And if if you ask pastors, like, what's there. Uh, least favorite part of the process is probably trying to narrow down to one specific passage, but obviously I, I made it. And it it struck me as I was thinking through that and thinking through what we've already done that we talk about prayer fairly often, don't we? Right? We talked about it in Daniel. We talked about it in Philippians 1 in the beginning of the year. We had a, a sermon series on the spiritual disciplines some time ago. And of course, we we talk about it fairly often here because as we're walking through these different books of the Bible, they talk about prayer fairly often, right? And as I was thinking about why that would be, of course, it's uh, important, but I think to our, our natural inclination or, or the difficulty of it is that we're, we're naturally inclined not to pray, but to forget to pray or, or to try to go it on our own. I mean, how many messages have you heard? I mean, some of you have been going to church for decades. How many messages have you heard on prayer? How many times have you at one point or another decided, I, I'm going to grow in prayer in this specific way in my, my life, only to um, not grow in that way and to kind of flounder around so spectacularly that uh, you walk away uh, not encouraged, but discouraged by your progress. And that's why we talk about it, and that's why we keep talking about it, and why we're talking about it this morning. To keep trying to grow in prayer and to not give up. And what I what I share this morning, I'm sure, won't be new to many of you, and uh, that should be comforting If if I came to you now 2000 years after of, of church history and and kind of laid out some new and interesting things about prayer that you'd never heard before. That should be a little suspicious. You should be like where where did that that Jeff guy like get these ideas from, right? So I want you to think about this morning kind of like a checkup at the doctor. You're supposed to go like every two years or something like that and and you probably don't, but you're supposed to. And uh, uh right and not because there's anything wrong, but uh, maybe they're going to catch something, your doctor will catch something that you're missing, or, or maybe you make an appointment with the doctor because there's some specific thing wrong with you, and, and maybe your prayer life is like that this morning. Maybe, maybe everything's going great, and, and praise God for that. Uh, maybe you're just kind of thinking about it, and, and I want you to be encouraged, but also yeah, just considering these different areas and thinking, oh, maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing here. Or maybe you're more like uh, the second example, and, and you're thinking about your prayer life. And even coming in here this morning, you're like, I, I already know kind of a way that my, my prayer life uh, could improve or, or isn't the best. And I, I kind of need to work on that. I hope you're encouraged. Maybe you're in the, the prayer ER right now, and you're like, my prayer life is just, you know, on life support, like barely hanging on by a thread. I'm glad you're here too. because we and, I, and my hope is wherever you're at, that it's a help and encouragement. So again, if you uh, haven't found your way there yet, we're looking at Ephesians 6, starting in verse 18. It's kind of Paul's almost a prayer, but not quite a prayer at the end of that letter. But he, he has some very specific things to tell us about prayer and, and for the church at Ephesus. And we're going to be looking at this kind of four facets of prayer in this one statement. That we should be praying at all times in the Spirit for all the saints About the mission, at all times in the Spirit, for all the saints about the mission. And since we're talking about prayer, we should definitely pray and ask for God's help before we dig into it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the time this morning for us to be together, to learn from your word, and to pray to you, even as we are now, just collectively, as, as your church body, as this church family. We get to come before you and talk with you. We pray that your your word this morning would go forth and not return void, that that you would work through it to change our hearts, to desire this fellowship with you, desire a closer relationship with you. Give us the focus and energy over these next 40 minutes or so to pay attention to what you have for us this morning, for your glory, amen. Again, Ephesians 6, 6, starting in verse 18 encouraging them to pray at all times. And that's going to be our first point, too, is to pray at all times. see this concept quite often in Scripture. It's probably, again, probably not new to you. I'll just give you a couple more examples of what you might be thinking of. Romans 12.12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. In Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, we talked about being constant in prayer before, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I do think it'd be helpful to make sure we're all on the, sp- the same page of, what are we talking about when we say, "Be constant in prayer?" Just like in that Colossians passage that we just read. Is Paul literally saying that he hasn't ceased praying for the believers in Colossae ever since he's heard of heard of their kind of situation, right? In in the months or years since that passed. Is he, is he at home, kind of eyes closed, hands folded and he's been sitting there ever since praying specifically for those people? Obviously not, right? So, what is he saying? I think to be constant in prayer, to pray at all times, emphasizes the dependence on God, but the, important, the importance and the regularity with which we're called to pray. It emphasizes the importance and the regularity with which we're called to pray. Notice in verse 18 that Paul uses the word all four times. And when you see repetition in, in any literature but especially the Bible, you should be thinking emphasis. Like, the author here, Paul, is trying to emphasize something to me here. And I think he's using it, of course, for the importance of prayer. But I think that the kind of breadth and depth our prayer life should have. So if it doesn't mean literally praying all the time, I think it does mean to lean on God all the, all the time so that, that kind of dependence and trust that lean on God all the time and to call to him repeatedly and often so we're leaning in him trusting in him all the time and we're calling on him often most naturally when i, I hear that sort of a definition i think of uh, those those little prayers we do throughout the day right just a kind of a minute 30 second type thing where it's like i'm i'm facing temptation or, or something hard has come up or, or something has come up in my life or, or something for someone else has kind of come up and I, I say a quick prayer for them or, or, or for the situation. People oftentimes call them flare prayers, right? Because you're like a soldier, you're like sending up a flare to uh, so that help knows where to find you, basically, right? A little, a little prayer for help. I think that's, that's one kind of prayer. Uh, I think it also includes another type of prayer, though. It's that uh, longer, uh, I'm, I'm spending alone time with God for an extended period of time that I've set aside specifically for prayer. We see this in Jesus' life uh, in Mark 1, verse 35, just as an example. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out into a desolate place, and there he prayed. I'm going to um, kind of... Sh- show my my mathematics roots just for a moment here. My undergrad was in math. Um, Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician and philosopher, uh, once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That's like a little exaggerated, right? Obviously, like if we all could do that well, we wouldn't be perfect. And yet... Probably all of us would agree that this set-aside time with God, extended period of time in prayer, focused, is super valuable, super helpful, super important. And yet, how difficult is it for us to set aside an extended period of time alone with God and and to have that time with Him? And what I found uh, through my time praying you know just in general in groups with other people other people talking about their prayer lives in small groups if you if you haven't heard uh, by the way did i mention small group launch is coming up next week and i as your loving pastor desire that everyone would be in a small group anyway <laughs> what i found in small group is that generally in, the, in that kind of accountability time generally people are either good at one or the other, or one or the other com- comes more natural to them, right? Either either you're good at kind of thinking about it throughout the day, and, and kind of those little little prayers, or, or you're better at the, uh, uh, in the in the morning, or whatever time you do it, setting aside kind of a longer period of time, you, you kind of know what you're going to pray for, and praying for it. Very rarely have I ever met anyone who's just like, yeah, just both, both just, just comes to me, I, I don't know, where it's this sort of kind of effortless thing. And so I guess our question for us, or question for you, is okay. Which one is more natural to you? So, which one's more natural to you? Which kind of prayer is going well? And which kind, as you're thinking about, it, you're like, "Yeah, I need to, I need to, to work on that." Those kind of shorter prayers throughout the day, or the longer time with God. And what do you need to do about it? Like, how do you actually get yourself uh, there? How do you actually grow in it? Like, do you, do you need an app or an alarm to kind of remind you throughout the day, hey, don't forget, like, pray. Like, that. that's something uh, I had to do in the past, because that's not my natural inclination. Do you need to get up earlier to set aside that time? Do you kind of need to plan out what you're going to pray for, so you can pray for an extended period of time? Whatever that thing is, identify that kind of thing, that kind of step in praying at all times. And the The strength to do that, to actually kind of take that step, to go from here and do something about it, to grow in prayer, we find in God. That's part of why we pray in the Spirit. That's our second point, to pray in the Spirit. I think there's a lot of confusion around this idea. What does it mean to uh, pray in the Spirit? I think, so on on kind of one end of the spectrum, there's um, this sort of, i'm I'm praying for an experience with god i'm trying to experience oneness or this kind of peace right it's almost like this eastern um, mysticism meditation type thing almost i'm achieving nirvana type thing that we go to prayer seeking and on the totally totally kind of flip side or the the side maybe i'm more inclined to to veer toward is it is this sort of like uh, prayer is is this selfless duty and that you um, rarely or never feel God's presence, and you you're only ought to be praying for kind of the kingdom and, and sanctification and, and God's glory and you know all these, all these sort of kind of selfless things. Um, like I said, I, I tend toward this category, and, and probably most of the time I'm not feeling like uh, the peace when I, I pray with God or this kind of oneness or unity, this feeling. So maybe, again, you find yourself leaning one way, or another. And of course, like so many things in life, the truth isn't in the extremes, but is found somewhere in the middle. Tim Keller put it this way on page five of his book on prayer. I'm going to uh, recommend it uh, at the end, but I uh, just want to read this quote. It's been one of the most helpful books on my prayer life personally. It says this Prayer is both a, a conversation and encounter with God. These two concepts give us a definition for prayer and a set of tools for deepening our prayer lives. The traditional forms of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, are concrete practices as well as profound experiences. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking for his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Prayer, then, is both awe and intimacy, struggle and reality. These will not happen all the time, every time we pray, but each should be a major component of our prayer over the course of our lives. Uh, by way of uh, illustration, I again, I mentioned I, I don't often feel that peace. But I don't know if it was because I was working on this message and thinking about prayer more and praying more, uh, but I did this week on Thursday, and it was... Uh, just kind of a, a crazy week. Uh, we were uh, off on Friday, and so if you work full-time, you know how that goes. If you're off on Friday, that means you're working extra hard the rest of the week to try to take time off the, the other day. And um, we had had our small group over the night before, which again, super fun, highly recommend. If you're not in a small group, I don't know if you've uh, heard this, if you're not in a small group, it's, it's, and you just need some fun, cool people to hang out with. Uh, that would be another great reason to get involved with in a small group not as cool as my small group but it, you know you make do with what what you can get um so we were we were hanging out and and having a party kind of celebrating the, the end of the the summer type thing before fall launch and um so we had everyone over at our house and and there were there were five kids under 3 there um so it was you know there was lots of energy so pretty tired from that pretty Feeling the pressure of like okay i got I gotta get this sermon done and 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 things like that, and uh, on my way to work, driving down uh, county highway m and and praying and just reminding myself of of who God is and kind of looking out in a little more of a rural area and his creation and there was just just a little moment of of peace and of trust and and um, you know nothing audible, of course, but i was I was just reminded like I, I see you, I see all these things that are going on, and, and it's going to be okay, right? All this stuff is going to be okay. And we, again, like I said, it, it doesn't happen all the time for me. In fact, I'd say it's, it's infrequent, but, but it was a nice blessing in that moment, and it, and it should be a component of our prayer lives. But the only way to to find that, to, to get there, to get through the struggle, to find that intimacy, that awe, is to pray in the Spirit. And to pray in the Spirit means that our our prayers must be moved and guided by the Holy Spirit. So Paul talked about this earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, that it's through the Holy Spirit that we have confident access to the Father. And it's through the Spirit of God that he dwells within you. And that's where intimacy is found. In other words, he, his power carries the prayer, his leading guides the prayer, and the Spirit works in our heart to, to awaken the, the, plea, the pleading of faith that, that just comes to him as Father, and where we can come to him and we can say, Father. right? Because when, when we say that, we're saying and we're trusting in God's word when he tells us that we are his children, And we're trusting in Jesus' sacrifice for us, that he died on the cross all that time ago, that it's still sufficient to make us sons and daughters. And in that trust, we pray in the Spirit. So how do you know that you're praying in the, the Spirit? You're praying in trust. And sometimes it's helpful to think about it kind of in the opposite. How do you know you're praying in the Spirit when you're not praying in the flesh? Are you praying without faith in the promises of God and his word? Or consider James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Are you praying in pursuit of those passions, of those adulterous desires? Are, are your goals or your desires aligned with God's desires? And the beauty of being so uh, naturally inclined to sin, right? So naturally inclined to live by our flesh is that if you are praying in trust, you can be confident that you're praying in the Spirit. So it's not a matter of, did I, did I feel a certain thing when I prayed, right? That's not how you tell if you prayed in the Spirit. You can tell, you, you can tell if you prayed in the Spirit if you prayed in faith, I'd also be kind of amiss here if I didn't mention something else that Paul's driving at in this passage. If you look back at your uh, your, uh, open copy of Scripture, at the kind of context, immediately before this in verse 10 through 17 in our Ephesians passage, Paul is talking about this, putting on the uh, armor of God and these different kind of Weapons, as verse 11 says, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Prayer is foundational to deploying these all, all these other weapons of spiritual warfare. So prayer is foundational for deploying all these other weapons of spiritual warfare. It's kind of like if you have a battery-powered tools. If your battery isn't charged... What's going to happen, right? So these last uh, two out of three moves that I've, I've helped people with that were moving, um, I have been relegated to be a bed deconstructor, right? You guys know how that goes. You get to the morning of and you need to go, and it's like, oh, yeah, we slept in the bed and, and we haven't had a chance to blah, 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 Hey, why don't you do that? So that was me. And this last time I did this, uh, the, you know, they hand me the, the drill driver and they're like, have at it. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Uh, but the battery is dead. No big deal. Can I just have the normal you know, screwdriver that, that you use otherwise in your, your tool, tool set? Oh, well, those have already left. Like, like they're not here. They're already, already packed away and gone. So what are, you, what are you left with then with a dead battery, right? It's me sitting on the floor, either with the bit or the whole, whole thing, like twisting it manually, right? Which was a, 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 probably a, a sad sight to see if you could have seen it from a third-person view, (laughs) right? It needs the battery to work. At my house, all my lawn tools, my lawnmower, my, my trimmer, my blower, all those things run on a battery. Even though I have all these great tools, how effective are they going to be? How much lawn work am I going to get done if I don't have a charged battery, right? In the same way in your prayer lives you have access to all these spiritual tools these spiritual weapons to protect you against the these evil schemes the schemes of the enemy how effective will they be if they're not being charged by prayer and this explains why or gives another reason why we must be praying at all times or praying without ceasing right because the these forces of temptation and these Uh, spiritual warfare, the powers of evil, on this side of eternity, they are going to be unceasing. right? They're not taking a break. In the same way, if we're going to be prepared, our battery needs to be charged. We need to be praying so that we're ready when those things come. I also hope that this relationship that you have, that we have with the Spirit, encourages you. That having uh, this type of access to the spirit means that in our weakness, he helps us and intercedes for us. Romans 8, verses 26 to 27 says, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In our humanity, in our, our weakness, and even just our, our ignorance and not knowing everything in our imperfect, sinful hearts, we don't always know what to pray for, what we should be praying for, what's the right outcome. Sometimes we're totally blind to our own sin. We don't even know it's there. We're not even aware of it to pray for it. Be encouraged that you aren't expected to know everything. You aren't expected to know God's specific will for your life. In fact, you won't ever know. You don't know, and it's okay. God is provided something for you for that, the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged that in your confusion and groaning and ignorance that you are not alone. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, and he understands you. He understands you. He understands what you're going through. Be encouraged that God's working for you and the Spirit's praying for you is not limited by your own understanding, right? He is is working. He's praying things for you that are beyond your comprehension, beyond your imagination. Be encouraged that in your weakness and sickness and loss and hardship and the trials of life, the Spirit of God is praying for you and God is for us. And be encouraged that God the Father hears the prayers of God the Spirit and answers. So we seek to pray in the Spirit. And to be encouraged that the Spirit is advocating for you, is praying for you. And at the end of this verse, verse 18, Paul mentions that third all, with all perseverance. And then our third point, pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. We already know we ought to be praying. And so I I want us to think about this one more of like, who should we be praying for? And I, I think for many of us, the ones we're most inclined to pray for or where easiest for us to remember to pray for is, is people immediately in our lives, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. We should be praying for them, our family, ourselves, our friends, that sort of thing. So instead, I want to focus on people we don't often think to pray for, or less inclined to pray for. So, for example, praying for all the saints would include our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who, who are suffering and are persecuted for their faith. Or the missionaries who, who left their homes so that they could go and tell people who don't know about Jesus, about him, to reach unreached peoples. It would include other believers in Madison, right? There are lots of other churches, and as, as long as they're a Bible-believing church, are we praying for them that their ministry is just super effective, that they're winning lots of people to Jesus, that the believers there are, are growing in their faith and becoming more like Jesus? Are we praying for their good? 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 2, expands this concept to everyone. Says first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, in every way. As you think about who you pray for, is there is there a person or is there a category of people or people that are missing that you feel like yeah I should include that or. You're thinking, how much you pray for people? Uh, does, does the ratio seem right between, again, your kind of family, your circle, and others? Are you praying for people the Bible explicitly mentions to pray for? Right, so that, that First Timothy passage uh, mentions specifically these uh, kind of, for kings and high positions, these governing authorities, even though we don't have a king, right? Do you pray for them? even though they're uh, maybe not very popular right now, right, when you think of our, our government. Um, there was a, a poll done in August conducted by uh, the Associated Press's Center for Public Affairs Research wing, and it said, regardless of political party or affiliation, that 70% of Americans don't want either Biden or Trump to run for president this next election and as we all know, the two frontrunners for president for the next election are Biden and Trump, right? So I don't want to get political, and that's not my, my intent. I only bring that up to say uh, we, as in America, Americans, are not super uh, thrilled or pleased with the, the current kind of governing authorities, I think is, is fair to say, right? And yet we, as believers, we don't, we don't have to like them or vote for them, or whatever, but we do have to love them by praying for them, right, and that they would use uh, their authority and their power for, for good. Do you pray for our local government here, right? We have the, the, the state capital here in, in Madison. Are we praying for our, our state government, our local government? Are you praying for uh, your small group leaders? These are the, the ones Pastor Dave brought up last week, your small group leaders, your elders, your your pastors, um, and I just want to ditto everything uh, Pastor Dave said. I, I covet your prayers, but I also I also just want to point out like have you have you met us? Like if you know us, you should be coming home after service and being like running into your prayer closet and, and praying for Pastor Dave and I that that God would give us some wisdom and discernment and in guiding the church or whatever like right? that. Right? There's nothing special about us. Also, have I mentioned small groups, and I encourage everyone to join one. There was a, a card on your chair that Pastor Dave mentioned that came uh, with some info about small groups that we're offering right now. If you didn't know, second half of small groups, we split up guys, gals, for some accountability time, and depending on how good your group is at time management, theoretically, the last 20 or 30 minutes of that will be prayer time, right? Um, I am willing to bet, so that prayer time is we're hearing prayer requests and praying for one another. I'm willing to bet that for a vast majority of us, if we don't have small group, the, we are not going to pray for an extended period of time with other believers about specific prayer requests from other people in our church. I'm willing to bet that that simply doesn't, happen if you don't kind of put yourself in that situation, right? You kind of commit to small group, and you show up, and you kind of almost like hold yourself accountable to, you or almost kind of force yourself to be praying for others in an extended period of time. And that right there is worth the, the price of admission for, for small groups, this weekly practice of praying for an extended period of time with other believers for specific requests. I should have kept a tally or something of like every time I was like, "Hey, small groups, right? Like a little whiteboard or something," Um, or let you guys in on it. So at the beginning, you could have been like keeping keeping awake. You guys know who you are. Staying awake by by keeping track of things like that. (laughs) This off my off my notes. Are you uh, praying for all the saints? To kind of summarize, are you praying for all the saints for all people? Or are there are certain kind of ruts you fall into, and again, some of these are good, maybe some um, not as good ruts that that's going to take some intentional effort to get out of. So that's the who, and then the last uh, kind of two verses are are almost the what. Pray for, pray about the mission. Pray about the mission. Let me reread those uh, last two verses real quick. 19 and 20, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is kind of sharing his prayer requests with the Ephesians here. I think a little little context, a little background would be helpful here. In verse 20, when he says he's an ambassador in chains, he's literally referring to his imprisonment. It's believed that Paul wrote the letter around 60 to 61 AD during his first Roman imprisonment. If you were here for Acts Studies, you might remember he had kind of this trial and he appeals to Caesar and then he's off to Rome. Uh, They believe he has arrived at Rome and is awaiting his trial. And it's a curious prayer request, because if it were me, I would be like, pray that I can get out of here, right? Like, pray that they release me from prison. And yet, he prays for boldness to speak the gospel. So when Paul prays, he has kind of certain goals in mind. I see this theme as I was kind of looking at all the different uh, prayers of Paul that uh, Mainly God's glory and other believers' Christ-likeness and, and their eventual glorification by God are, are some of the same main goals that we ought to have when we pray. So I'll just give two more examples to illustrate this point. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every Resolve for good in every work of faith by his power, so that, in the name of our Lord Jesus, may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Romans 15, 5-6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have to keep that in perspective. Is it, is it wrong to pray for, for healing, for others suffering to be alleviated for ourselves? No, of course, not right. And we even have an example of Paul uh, praying for himself in just this way in Second Corinthians 12:7 through8 so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me so paul's repeatedly praying for this thing to leave him until literally god talks to him and says hey paul i'm i'm leaving this for you and i have a specific purpose for this So it's not wrong, it wasn't wrong for him to pray for an end for his suffering. And he did in that instance, but Paul did not pray for an end to his suffering in this instance. Why is that? And I'd say because his imprisonment served to advance the gospel. And that kind of advancing of the gospel was a greater priority in his life. Life in his prayer life. And I, the, the letter to the Philippians makes more explicit why that is in Philippians 1, 12 to 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So even though the, the circumstance isn't ideal, Paul has seen how God used it to reach people with the gospel that Paul otherwise wouldn't have ever had the chance to talk to or get. At the, the imperial guard and, and, and maybe even Caesar, right? The only way really to get access to them is if you're kind of in the imperial household or you're imprisoned in the jail. And so he prayed not for freedom with this kind of in mind or, or knowing this ministry purpose in mind, but for boldness to speak the gospel in that context he found himself in. So for us, for you, I I think it's really a matter of kind of what are my prayers filled with or or what is the kind of the content of my prayers? What are the goals that I'm after when I'm praying, kind of primarily goals for for myself or for others? Of course, we pray like Paul did for alleviation of suffering. But often do we pray for sanctification, for boldness to share like Paul was, for, for unity in the body, for others to have the character of Christ, for his glory. Are there people I should be praying for? Are there topics I'm missing? Are there ways that the content of my prayer could be closer aligned with God's will? One thing that's really helped me um, in this particular topic of of hitting all the areas I want to is is every morning. Uh, I have a kind of a specific um, kind of topic or topics that I'm trying to pray for. So so maybe some examples would be, you know, maybe one day is about my sanctification. Maybe one day is about uh, my my ministry and the people I'm trying to minister to and my my counselees that are struggling with life. Kind of dominating sins or, or their marriage is struggling or things like that, you can be praying for your ministry or your area of serving, right? Even if you just greet, and I say just greet, greeting is an important job, you can be praying for that couple you met last week that they would get plugged into and regularly attend a Bible-believing church. You could be praying for boldness when new people come in to to welcome them, to be praying with people after the service or or asking people if they need prayer. If you're in children's ministry, you can be praying for those little souls you minister to that God would soften their heart to the gospel. Whatever it is you're doing, there's something to be prayed for there. And if you're, and you find, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I am doing anything. Well, good news, there's a card on everyone's seat where there's, <laughs> there's ministry teams that you can get info about. <clears throat> One day I'm going to be praying for my small group, or my family and, and kind of other personal kind of asks for those around me. I'm going to be praying for the authorities we mentioned earlier. We, I'm praying for uh, believers around the world and missions and those sorts of things, right? You can make a kind of list of topics. You don't need to hit all of them every day uh, that you can kind of hit throughout the week. Finally, if, if God is kind of laying it on your heart to, to pray this week, to uh, kind of challenge you in your prayer life, I'd really encourage you to sign up uh, for a slot this week to pray for an hour. I think for a lot of us, that's a that's a stretching thing, right? To to kind of sit down and, and focus and be with God for an hour and pray. And so I encourage you all to do that. If you're looking for kind of more, like, I want to, to grow in this further. I want to read more about this. I want to think about this more. I have a, a couple book recommendations for you. Uh, this is Um, Prayer by Tim Keller, which I I mentioned before, I quoted before, and then uh, Praying with Paul by by D.A. Carson. I've been um, referencing them a lot, and I don't apologize for it because uh, they've been uh, a big help to me in my walk and think they uh, can be for you too. But I don't want to end our service talking about these human helps. I want to end talking about our ultimate help that the reason we can come before a holy god as son or daughter and talk about these requests right because if we tried to talk to the president of the united states and he's not nearly as as important or powerful or any of these other things as our god if we tried to talk to the president of the united states right how much how many of us could get an audience with him no one none of none of us here anyway unless you have some secret life i don't know about none of us could but we, anytime, anywhere, can talk to the God of the new universe. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. And that we get to be and come before him, not as servants, not just as citizens in his kingdom, though we are those things. We're also sons and daughters. And we have that access. You have that access as soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus. When you, you acknowledge you're a sinner when you trust in his sacrifice on the cross for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, when you confess him as Lord of your life, you become a son or daughter of the most high king, and you have this access. You gain, as it says, four chapters before in Ephesians, you gain access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You gain that privilege, that access, to be sons and daughters, to be in the household of God through Jesus's shed blood for us. And that's what we're remembering this morning. After this, we're going to take communion and I'm going to uh, invite the worship team if you uh, want to come up now. Um, that's what we're remembering this morning when we take communion. Jesus's sacrifice for us. And it's both uh, incredibly sobering and serious because when, we, when we're confronted with this, we're confronted with my sin, your sin was so serious that the only innocent man to ever live had to die for you, that you could be saved and that you could be justified for there to be any hope for you to be made right with God. But it's also Joyful. And it's also a celebration because you have been made right with God. And you know that you have eternal life with him. You know that you know that you know that you are on your way to heaven, not because of anything that you have done, because of what Jesus has done for you. And in that joy of your forgiveness and knowing how the story ends, there's thankfulness, and that motivates us to press on even when, it's hard, or even when we've tried to do things like grow in prayer and haven't been successful.